You are listening to the Fuerte Network. Bienvenidos a todos, everyone. Welcome to Migrants on Air, an immigration podcast formerly known as We Are Home, Arizona. We are your hosts. My name is Carlos Yanez. Karina Dominguez. Danny Orona. We started this podcast back in 2021 as part of the We Are Home campaign in hopes for an immigration reform and a pathway to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States. A lot has changed since then, including a rebrand of our podcast. Although the fight towards citizenship continues in this podcast, we want to have conversations about creating an inclusive movement that focuses on protecting immigrants beyond citizenship. We are based in Arizona, so we will cover immigration stories and news from our state, but we will also expand our reach to share stories and news from around the country. If you want to hear from immigrant leaders in our community, stay up to date with news and calls to action. Be sure to follow us on whatever platform you listen to your podcast and spread the word to your friends and family. These conversations cannot happen without you. We'll see you soon. Migrants on Air is a Fuerte Network production. To stay up to date with new episodes this season and all the work done by the Fuerte Arts Movement, make sure to follow and subscribe to Fuerte AZ on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And most importantly, log on to Fuerte.org and sign up for the email list. All right, bienvenidos a todos. Welcome back to Migrants on Air and Immigration Podcast. My name is Carlos Alberto, and I'm here with my co-host, Karina Dominguez. Karina, ¿cómo estás? I'm doing good. I'm a little bit sick. I've been sick for a couple of days, so if you hear me coughing, that's why. But other than that, everything's really good. How are you? Bien, bien, aquí en Seattle. Uh, con, con el puro frío, uh, y si no viene este mormado o algo, son las alergias, eh? no, no estoy enfermo. We're not at our <laughs> best today. We're not at our best, but we're still here. En este episodio, basically, han pasado muchas cosas en inmigración, eh, muchas cosas de parte de la reforma y con el Partido Demócrata y con Biden, entonces, Karina y yo pensamos de meternos a platicar un poquito sobre todo lo que está pasando. And basically have a little like cheese session, kind of like an intermission, de parte de todos los otros episodios. Yeah, so no guests today, only us. Um, a little cheese <laughs> time and a lot of shade towards Biden, probably. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I think that, that there's been a lot that's been going on, um, especially at the border. And especially if you don't live in the borderlands. Y si no vives de parte, digo, en, en la de estados, uh, you might not really understand what's going on. But there was a lot of backlash on behalf of the Biden administration. And you see it with a lot of accounts that do direct work um, on the border. So you, you can go on, on Instagram or even a lot of social media with the Florence Project, with Al Otro Lado, with uh, the Kino Border Project, which does a lot of uh, direct work on the border with the Stylies, speaking out against a lot of the Trump era policies that are being reversed by the Biden administration. Uh, you have things like the CBP-1 app, which is a really, really new thing that Border Patrol is using to process migrants. But there has been a lot of problems. Okay, I don't know if you've heard a little bit about the app or what's going on with, with those admissions. Honestly, I think the first time that I heard about it is when you talked to me a couple of days ago, which I think sucks. Like the fact that a lot of us are involved in the movement, but we haven't heard of a lot of these things. So yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about it and like, What's happening? Yeah, yeah. So, of course, there was this new application rolled out by Border Patrol very, very recently. That's basically a way to process individuals at the border. But a lot of the problems that have surrounded that app is that, well, it's an it's an app and it works on 
a cell phone. You know, not every migrant is going to have a cell phone like in their possession with a valid cellular data plan. And another problem that really occurred through the app and its use was that the app was having a really hard time distinguishing between darker skin tones. So individuals who who were of like lighter skin, their application was being processed because the app recognized their face. So a lot of the AI and the programs used in that app are being flagged as discriminatory because mm-hmm. if you can't submit a photo, then your application can't be submitted. And if the app doesn't recognize your face, then you can't really process your application because you can't even start. Aside from that, you know, you need an inter- internet connection and a lot of migrants who have been using the app, there was a story that I read on the news, their face wasn't recognized on the application. So they had to wait even more at the border and they were going through a lot of hardship because their application just wasn't working. Um, so there's a lot of problems with the CBP one app and the way that they're processing migrants at the border right now. You know, aside from all of the other Trump era policy reversals that the Biden administration is considering, I don't know if you've seen the news or even like the White House statements on the possibility of family separation, mm-hmm. like being a thing again yeah. and, and family like, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of things happening at the border and a lot of things happening in this administration that, you know, is really horrible because this isn't what he campaigned on. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I think it's really disappointing. But at the same time, it's so predictable. Like we knew things like this were going to happen. Like disappointed. disappointing because as you mentioned he didn't run on those things a lot of like BIPOC people helped him get into office you know we had so many people canvassing calling for him thinking that this was the better choice but time and time again we see like Democrats only using us when it's beneficial to them and then once they're already in office they start doing all of these things that they condemned Republicans for and I mean I think we both campaigned for biden and i feel like every time we both campaign for someone <laughs> they end up yeah. doing something bad <laughs> which is really unfortunate i remember knocking on doors and talking to people about his platform and his campaign so it's just really disheartening that he's doing this to us because at the end of the day he's doing mm-hmm. this to the people that elected him and you know it's just really disheartening because look, what's what's stopping like a future republican administration from going even harder Uh, on the issue and there's no like checks or balances yeah that's the scary part and i think i want to go back to the app a little bit yeah yeah. can you explain like what the process was beforehand and like how they were able to create this whole entire process like with an app did they have to go through like any like approval or like how how is this even possible that they could create this the system yeah, so usually, you know, in normal years and how it's supposed to be, asylum is enshrined in international law, but also in, in the U.S. code, which is, you know, basically like a big ass book mm-hmm. with all the U.S. law. So it was ratified. So it is a U.S. law. But usually the way to ask for asylum is you go up to a port of entry. And there's a lot of, como se dice, there's a lot of narrative around coming to the border and asking for asylum because people say, oh, like invasion. Oh, this this is bad. Like they're piling up at our border. But the way to ask for asylum and, you know, to ask for protection is to come to a point of enter- entry, which is basically literally every border border checkpoint anywhere. Uh-huh. And you say, hey, I'm fearing for my life or I need protection. And they're supposed to process you. Border Patrol will apprehend you and then process you. And they're supposed to serve you an NTA, which is a notice to appear, which is basically mm-hmm. like a little like a, char- a charging document saying that you appeared at the border and ICE will file those charges against you saying, oh, we think you're admissible, we think you're inadmissible, oh, we think you should be deported, or uh, it should also include the the story of why you're fearing persecution. So mm-hmm. that's just like a little 
a little bit of the process of how it's supposed to be. But now you're supposed to wait for an appointment through the app on the other side. You can't come to the point of entry and say that you're fearing for your life. That's mm -hmm. not really how it's done anymore. Uh, you're supposed to wait either in Mexico or somewhere else, have an appointment through the app, upload your phone or your photo, upload um, your information, and they'll give you an appointment date. And that's when you're supposed to present yourself. Um, so a lot of the problems is with scheduling. Um, if it's really long in the future, or like I was saying earlier, a lot of discrimination present in, in the systems that govern the facial recognition, and then the problems with internet connection and having a cell phone. Thank God that there's a lot of organizations that are at the border, you know, helping with that kind of stuff, like providing phones yeah. and Wi-Fi. But, you know, as always, that's not the case for everyone. Yeah. And like you mentioned, like, even if they are receiving like this support and this help, if the app can't even recognize you, like nothing that anyone can do is going to to help you get that appointment. Yeah. So it's just been really hard, I think, for for people who are recently coming in. And, you know, the administration has done other things that are good. Like they, they came out with a parole program for Cubans, I believe, Venezuelans mm -hmm. and Nicaraguans, I believe. But at the end of the day, if you're not being entirely, I guess, inclusive and you're being very selective on who your policies apply to, I think that's also a disservice to a lot of people around the world. Yeah, definitely. And I think that can bring us back to our favorite policy ever, <laughs> the DREAM Act. It was introduced again this year. Yeah, do you have anything to say about that? I think we are like a broken record by this point. Yeah, honest, I'm going to be completely honest. I think the last time we talked about the DREAM Act was in 2021, like the last big, big DREAM Act that had a possibility of passing. I've read a couple of the legislative points and a couple of the proposals, and it Mm -hmm. basically looks the same thing as the 2021 version. So unfortunately, I feel like there's not really a lot of things to say <laughs> about this yeah. new Dream Act. I just have a lot of feelings uh, of the fact that, you know, it's happening again <laughs> for the 2030 year in a row. Being yeah. completely honest, whenever I see tweets or like news articles about it, I don't even engage in them anymore. Because like, yeah. as you mentioned, they're all pretty similar. It has been since the first one. And nothing ever happens with them. I think I learned to not engage or get my hopes up with any of these things just because at the end of the day, the only feelings that come out is like anger and frustration. And to me, yeah. it's just not worth it anymore, especially if we know that some of these policies like are good for a good like set of people, but then they're criminalizing the other parts of the mm -hmm. community. And I think now that we're discussing the Dream Act, I know... Um... There was a new proposal in, in the House of Representatives, a new legislation basically dropped on registry. It's kind of like, I know last year we had a whole episode on parole and kind of the legislation around that, but they're also proposing to to do like immigration registry, which is basically like, there's a law in the books that I believe Reagan used, you, you know, the amnesty, like bill and all of that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like that's the the street name for for that bill. I believe it was Ira Ira. But basically, um, there's a law in the INA, which the INA is basically the the big code of immigration um, for the country that basically says like if you were present in the United States before 1972 and you've been a long term resident, then you're eligible to apply for a green card. Which is a really watered down you know explanation of that. But they're proposing to amend that date. To make it more current so everyone before you know a certain date will be eligible to to apply for a green card if they meet these requirements and that's basically a registry it's something that already exists they would just need to amend the date and then update the eligibility requirements 
And it kind of looks like they're trying to do that. But I guess my fear is that it, right now it's just in committee, which is basically like they're amending it, they're drafting it. But just my fear is that it just becomes another dream. Act. Yeah. And honestly, I think you are the expert on a lot of these things. I'm trying to catch up on, on these terms, but I think I saw a TikTok about this. <laughs> um, how It was basically explaining that the reason why there are 11 million undocumented immigrants in the country right now is because of that, that they haven't like updated that date that would grant like residency to all the people who have been here for a long time already. And if they kept doing that, like we wouldn't have had 11 million people who are undocumented right now. Yeah. And that brings up a whole, like we could have a whole episode on, on that conversation and mm -hmm. why there are 11 million undocumented people. And I know like, Immigration law has just been very, very hard and very punitive for a really, really long time. There weren't there weren't eleven million undocumented people back in the fifties uh, mm -hmm. or the sixties, and that's because you know, la la frontera no era fija. Like there, there wasn't like a physical thing stopping you from crossing and going back and forward. I know yeah. when my dad when my dad first came, he said, "Oh, it was so easy to just like you know come and then go back." Like he would visit, and then it became mm -hmm. harder, and we saw him less, and then it became even harder. And then we stop seeing him. And that's really because, you know, you either choose because the border is so militarized and there's so much, mm -hmm. like, basically, like, it kind of looks like a war zone. Like, if you, if you've ever, like, been to the border, there's a big wall, but there's also big, like, estaciones of, of CBP. And, mm -hmm. like, people are driving around the wall. Like, there's just a lot there. So if you see on the news, you know, like, people are just crossing or, you know, like, that it's super easy. It's really not because... If you've ever seen the border, you know that it's a really thick line that is really hard to cross. And after like the 2000s, you really weren't able to cross back and forward, which kind of creates the problem of, oh, if you wanted to come here for work and you wanted to go back after you save some money, like you can't do that anymore. Okay, you choose okay. to stay here or, you know, you were here before the the wall went up, like the the all the military technology like was implemented at the border. What do you do mm -hmm. now? Like you either choose to go back and not come back because it's really hard to come over or you stay here. So there's just a lot of problems with policy. And I think the United States did it to themselves at the end of the day. The fact that me and you are undocumented is basically a fault of policy and a fault mm -hmm. of immigration law that, that the government created. Because me and you weren't born undocumented. We were yeah. made undocumented by law and policy. And at the end of the day, that law, that same law and policy can also serve to to, I guess, grant us our movement back, but it's just a mm -hmm. lack of political will. No, yeah, as as you were talking, I started thinking of, like, all of the people that I know who are undocumented, and in the past, they have mentioned, like, oh, I used to go back and forth, like, you know, part of the year I was in Mexico, part of the year I was here, but then after a while, like, you do have to make that hard decision of, like, which side of the border do I stay in, and people haven't yeah. seen their families in 10, 20, 30 years, and yeah, it just sucks that we're not able to move freely and we're not able to have like those family experiences or like just the liberty to decide like, hey, mm -hmm. I want to be here or I want to be there. But yeah, it's just all the stories as you were talking just came into my mind and they led yeah. to, to like that policy that you're, you're speaking of. And there was this thing back in the in the 90s called i don't know if you've heard of it but it was called operation gatekeeper and it was a operation implemented at the u.s border to basically deter 
or stop people from crossing over and migrating. But it set up militarization checkpoints along the border, and it was really strategic, right? And I think it was one of the most evil things, you know, the, the U.S. government has ever done because the way that they set up those checkpoints and those militarization areas along the border funneled people into the hardest parts of, of the Arizona desert and the California desert. And it basically forced people to stop migrating through certain areas and funneled them into harder to cross areas. So even, you know, the, the fact that people die in the desert or people die on, on their on their journey is the fault of policy because it was a deliberate act by the government to stop people from wanting to cross and showing them that it was really dangerous so they wouldn't want to. And, you know, a lot of this has happened under Republican administrations, but it's also occurred under Democratic administrations. So I think it's the fault of both parties at the end of the day. And it's just really sad that, you know, policy has such a deadly effect on the lives of all of us. Yeah, and going back to like some of those policies, you spoke a little bit about detaining families again. And I was listening to the news and, and then there was a story of of this mom who said like if they are going to detain like me and my daughter, like I don't think I want to make the the decision to try to cross and I think it's like it's such a simple statement but it holds so many feelings, so many fears and like it just holds so much weight and it's such a hard decision to have to make to either like try to go for it or to decide to like stay. Yeah, no, it's definitely really hard. And I think I guess across the whole community it's been a point of I guess stress for a lot of people. I think even like for my family too, like this talks of after my parents like reach a certain age, you know, like do they want to stay here? Do they want to go mm -hmm. back? I've heard from some of my friends that their parents have like felt that they feel like they accomplished everything that they wanted to yeah. and that their work here was done so that they were going back. That's something my family's starting to deal with because my parents are, you know, a couple of years away from like their 60s. They're getting mm -hmm. older. It's hard to keep working physical like labor jobs when you're 55, 56 and you've been working like physical labor for like the last 30 years. So I completely understand my parents and what kind of decisions they, they have to make in the near future but yeah it's really hard yeah i've definitely been hearing that a lot as well especially when there's no retirement plan for for our parents right even though they've been working so hard and yeah mm -hmm. i think it's very sad just seeing how the border yeah. keeps on on separating our families as time goes on as well and i mean on that note <laughs> on that very depressing <laughs> oh yes very depressing <laughs> episode today I know there's just been a lot of stuff happening, but I think one of the good things that's come out in the recent months has been the Department of Labor really came out with something that a lot of organizations have been advocating for for a long time, which is protection for undocumented people who have suffered labor violations. So think of, you know, I don't know if you've heard the stories of individuals not getting overtime at meatpacking plants or being forced to, you know, work underage because there has been a lot of like migrant young labor happening in the U.S. for a really long time. So if an employer is found to be in violation of labor violations, they're eligible to ask for protections, which can lead maybe to a permanent status, which is something that we haven't had ever before, which I think is something that's really good that's come out of the last couple of months. And do you know a little bit about the process that people can take if they do experience any violations at work? Yeah, unfortunately, the really hard thing is the documentation. Mm. You do have to submit a formal complaint and documentation to one of the organizations and government departments that kind of deal with labor violations, either through the Department of, of Labor or another state agency and you have to basically receive the okay from them saying that oh yeah this employer was found of labor violation 
your complaint is valid. We're going to come after them, basically. And once uh, you're found to be credible, basically, and in your argument that your employer, you know, really did violate your rights, mm-hmm. you ask DHS for a certain adjustment of status. And there's a lot that goes into that. But basically, it really starts with you complaining and you standing up for yourself to the department and saying that, oh, my employer is breaking the law. But unfortunately, it is a really extensive process, which mm-hmm. I think I see as one of the the main reasons that people might not want to do this, just because, you know, a lot of people are afraid of the government and afraid of interacting with these institutions. And this requires a lot of contact with government institutions, which mm-hmm. might be a little hard or might be hard for a lot of individuals who have been afraid or don't know that the government is really segmented. Yeah, but I think the good thing is that there is now laws that are mm-hmm. protecting us and also for employers, like for them to realize that this is something that is there and you need to treat your workers better. You need to, yeah, you know, treat people as human. Yeah, I think in terms of a lot of the legislation that's come out in the last couple of months, this has been a lot <laughs> and it's really, yeah. really hard <laughs> to keep up with. But I would suggest for anyone listening, you want more information, I will link a lot of these legis- pieces of legislation and a lot of the the news articles that we talked about today in the description. But I think it's worth a read, especially since everything happened so fast and everything going on happened so fast. It really feels like a lot of information overload. We'll definitely try to include smaller updates within episodes. So we did mm-hmm. want to do this standalone episode on immigration updates just because it hasn't happened in a while. But hopefully mm-hmm. they're not sad updates. They are updates that shows that things are are getting better and like things are getting done and the promises that were made to us are being kept no yeah definitely and i think it's up to us to kind of keep these people accountable because if we Mm -hmm. don't then you know they start doing things like this which at the end just you know causes a bunch of disappointment for for our community but yeah i think we just have to keep fighting yes (laughs) (laughs) again (laughs) again (laughs) we said this about how many episodes ago (laughs) yeah that sounds so familiar if I continue, this sounds so funny. I'm pretty sure that was an episode title at one point. <laughs> I'm very sure, yeah. But, you know, I'm happy to be doing this with you. So, yes, me too. And thank you so much for all the knowledge that you bring. I know a lot of these things can be very hard to understand, but we're really thankful that you're able to break them down for us. No, yeah, of course. And I think like law and policy is super, super complicated. And mm-hmm. the, the words that lawyers use aren't always the, you know, super understandable. Like, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's just putting it in words that all of us understand and mm-hmm. all of us are capable of implementing and having in our in our knowledge. But yeah, I'm super excited to to see what we do in the future and how we take these these things that are happening and run with them. Yes. Thank you so much, Carlos. All right, everyone. That was our episode. Thank you so much for listening. As a reminder, we will be releasing episodes the last Monday of every single month. So Keep in touch with us. Follow us on Instagram, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter to know when our next episode is up. Migrants on Air is a Fuerte Network production in association with Orona Multimedia. Thank you so much for everyone involved in the creation of this episode. Uh, your hosts have been myself, Karina Dominguez, and Carlos Yanez. The graphics were done by Karina Dominguez. Theme song is Crazy Like That by Lo-Fi. Production and editing by Dani Orona. Please follow us on Spotify for this and all other Forte content and make sure to log on to Forte.org and sign up for our mailing list. Thank you so much, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Right, thank you, everyone. Hasta luego. <laughs>